The Crystal Shard, Chapter 15, On the Wings of Doom They came in under the cover of a violent squall line that swept down upon ten towns from the open east. Ironically, they followed the same trail along the side of Kelvin's Carn that Drizzt and Wolfgar had traveled just two weeks earlier. This band of Verbig, though, headed south toward the settlements rather than north toward the open tundra. Though tall and thin, the smallest of the giants, they were still a formidable force. A frost giant led the advanced scout of Akar Kessel's vast army. Unheard beneath the howling blasts of wind, they moved with all speed to a secret lair that had been discovered by orc scouts in a rocky spur on the southern side of the mountain. There was barely a score of monsters, but each carried a huge bundle of weapons and supplies. The leader pressed on with all speed toward its destination. Its name was Biggrin, a cunning and immensely strong giant whose upper lip had been torn away by the ripping maw of a huge wolf, leaving a grotesque caricature of a smile forever stamped upon its face. This disfigurement only added to the giant's stature, instilling the respect of fear in its normally unruly troops. Akar Kessel had personally handpicked Biggrin as the leader of his forward scouts. Though the wizard had been counseled to send a less conspicuous party, some of Hefstag's people, for the delicate mission. But Kessel held Biggrin in high regard, and was impressed with the enormous amount of supplies the small band of Verbig could carry. The troops settled into the new quarters before midnight and immediately went about fashioning sleeping areas, storage rooms, and a small kitchen. Then they waited, silently poised to strike the first blows in Akar Kessel's glorious assault on Ten Towns. An orc runner came every couple of days to check on the band and deliver the latest instructions from the wizard, informing Biggrin of the progress of the next supply troop that was scheduled to arrive. Everything was proceeding according to Kessel's plan, but Biggrin noted with concern that many of his warriors grew more eager and anxious every time a new runner appeared, hoping that the time to march to war was finally upon them. Always the instructions were the same, though. Stay hidden and wait. In less than two weeks in the tense atmosphere of the stuffy cave, the camaraderie between the giants had disintegrated. Verbig were creatures of action, not contemplation, and boredom led them inescapably to frustration. Arguments became the norm, often leading to vicious fights. Biggrin was never far away, and the imposing frost giant usually managed to break up the scuffles before any of the troops were seriously wounded. The giant knew beyond any doubt that it could not keep control of the battle-hungry band for much longer. The fifth runner slipped into the cave on a particularly hot and uncomfortable night. As soon as the unfortunate orc entered the common room, it was surrounded by a score of grumbling verbig. "'What's the news, then?' one of them demanded impatiently. Thinking that the backing of Akar Kessel was sufficient protection, the orc eyed the giant in open defiance. "'Fetch your master, soldier!' it ordered. Suddenly, a huge hand grabbed the orc by the scruff of the neck and shook the creature roughly. "'Yous was asked a question, scum,' said a second giant. "'What's the news?' The orc, now visibly unnerved, shot back an angry threat at its giant assailant. "'The wizard will peel the skin from your hide while you watch!' "'I heard enough,' growled the first giant, reaching down to clamp a huge hand around the orc's neck. It lifted the creature clear off the ground, using only one of its massive arms. The orc slapped and twisted pitifully, not bothering the verbig at the least. Oh, squeeze its filthy neck, came one call. 
many times out dropping in a dark hole, said another. Big Grin entered the room, quickly pushing through the ranks to discover the source of the commotion. The giant wasn't surprised to find the Verbig tormenting an orc. In truth, the giant leader was amused by the spectacle, but it understood the danger of angering the volatile Akar Kessel. It had seen more than one unruly goblin put to a slow death for disobeying or simply to appease the wizard's distorted taste for pleasure. Put the miserable thing down, Biggrin ordered calmly. Several groans and angry grumbles sprang up around the frost giant. Bash its head in, cried another. Bite its nose, yelled another. By now, the orc's face had grown puffy from lack of air, and it hardly struggled at all. The verbig holding it returned Biggrin's threatening stare for a few moments longer, then tossed its helpless victim at the frost giant's booted feet. Keep it, then, the furbig snarled at Biggrin. But if it wags its tongue at me again, I'm eating it for sure. I've had too much of this hole, complained a giant from the back of the ranks. And a whole dale of filthy dwarves for the taken. The grumbling renewed with heightened intensity. Biggrin looked around and studied the seething rage that had crept into all the troops, threatening to bring down the whole air in one sudden fit of irrepressible violence. Tomorrow night, we start going out to see what's about us. Big Grin offered in response. It was a dangerous move, the frost giant knew, but the alternative was certain disaster. Only three at a time. No one's to know. The orc had regained a measure of composure and heard Big Grin's proposal. It started to protest, but the giant leader silenced it immediately. Shut your mouth, dog, Big Green commanded, looking to the verbig that had threatened the runner and smiling wryly. Or I'll let me friends eat you. The giants howled their glee and exchanged shoulder claps with their companions, comrades again. Big Green had given them back the promise of action, though the giant leader's doubts about its decision were far from dispelled by the lusty enthusiasm of the soldiers. Shouts of various dwarven recipes the Verbigs had concocted, dwarf o the apple and bearded, basted, and baked, to name two, rang out to overwhelming hoots of approval. Big Grin dreaded what might happen if any of the Verbig came upon some of the short folk. Big Grin let the Verbig out of the lair in groups of three, and only during the nighttime hours. The giant leader thought it unlikely that any dwarves would travel this far north up in the valley but knew that it was taking a huge gamble. A sigh of relief escaped from the giant's mouth whenever a patrol returned without incident. Simply being allowed out of the cramped cave improved the Verbig's morale tenfold. The tension inside the lair virtually disappeared as the troops regained their enthusiasm for the coming war. Up on the side of Kelvin's Carn, they often saw the lights of Kerr Koenig and Kerr Dinevel, Tourmaline across the way to the west, and even Bryn Shander far to the south. Viewing the cities allowed them to fantasize about their upcoming victories, and the thoughts were enough to sustain them in their long wait. Another week slipped by. Everything seemed to be going along well. Witnessing the improvement the small measure of freedom had brought to his troops, Big Grin gradually began to relax about the risky decision. But then two dwarves, having been informed by Brunner that there was some fine stone under the shadow of Kelvin's Carn, made the trip to the north end of the valley to investigate its mining potential. They arrived on the southern slopes of the Rocky Mountain late one afternoon, and by dusk had made camp on a flat rock beside the swift stream. This was their valley, 
and it had known no trouble in several years. They took few precautions. So it happened that the first patrol of Verbig to leave the lair that night had spotted the flames of a campfire and heard the distinctive dialect of the hated dwarves. On the other side of the mountain, Drizduarden opened his eyes from his daytime slumber. Emerging from the cave into the growing gloom, he found Wolfgar in the customary spot, poised meditatively on a high stone, staring out over the plain. "'You long for your home?' the drow asked rhetorically. Wolfgar shrugged his huge shoulders and answered absently. Perhaps. The barbarian had come to ask many disturbing questions of himself about his people and their way of life since he learned respect for Drizzt. The drowl was an enigma to him, a confusing combination of fighting brilliance and absolute control. Drizzt seemed able to weigh every move he ever made in the scales of high adventure and indisputable morals. Wolfgar turned a questioning gaze on the drow. Why are you here? he asked suddenly. Now it was Drizzt who stared reflectively into the openness before them. The first stars of the evening had appeared, their reflections sparkling distinctively on the dark pools of the dark elf's eyes. But Drizzt was not seeing them. His mind was viewing long past images of the lightless cities of the drow and their immense cavern complexes far beneath the ground. I remember, Drizzt recalled vividly, as terrible memories are often vivid. The first time I ever viewed this surface world. I was a much younger elf then, a member of a large raiding party. We slipped out from a secret cave and descended upon a small elven village. The drow flinched at the images as they flashed again in his mind. My companions slaughtered every member of the Wood Elf clan, every female, every child. Wolfgar listened with growing horror. The raid that Drizzt was describing might well have been one perpetrated by the ferocious tribe of the Elk. My people kill, Drizzt went on grimly. They kill without mercy. He locked his stare onto Wolfgar to make sure that the barbarian heard him well. They kill without passion. He paused for a moment to let the barbarian absorb the full weight of his words. The simple yet definitive description of the cold killers had confused Wolfgar. He had been raised and nursed among passionate warriors, fighters whose entire purpose in life was the pursuit of battle glory, fighting in praise of tempos. The young barbarian simply could not understand such emotionless cruelty. A subtle difference, though, Wolfgar had to admit. Drow or barbarian, the results of the raids were much the same. The demon goddess they serve leaves no room for the other races, Drizzt explained. Particularly the other races of elves. But you will never come to be accepted in this world, said Wolfgar. Surely you must know that humans will ever shun you. Driz nodded. Most, he agreed. I have few that I can call friends, yet I am content. You see, barbarian, I have my own respect, without guilt, without shame. He rose from his crouch, and started away into the darkness. Come, he instructed, let us fight well this night, for I am satisfied with the improvement of your skills, and this part of your lesson nears its end. Wolfgar sat a moment longer in contemplation. The drow lived a hard and materially empty existence, yet he was richer than any man Wolfgar had ever known. Drizzt had clung to his principles against overwhelming circumstances, leaving the familiar world of his own people by choice 
to remain in a world where he would never be accepted or appreciated. He looked at the departing elf, now a mere shadow in the gloom. Perhaps we two are not so different, he mumbled under his breath. Spies, whispered one of the verbig. Stupid for spying with a fire, said another. Let's go squish him, said the first, starting toward the orange light. Boss said no, the third reminded the others. We're to watch, but no squishing. They started down the rocky path toward the small camp of the dwarves with as much stealth as they could muster, which made them about as quiet as a rolling boulder. The two dwarves were well aware that someone or something was approaching. They drew their weapons as a precaution, but figured that Wolfgar and Drizzt, or perhaps some fishermen from Kerr Koenig, had seen their light and were coming to share dinner with them. When the camp came into sight just below, the Verbig could see the dwarves standing firm, weapons in hand. They seen us! said one giant, ducking into darkness. Oh, shut up, ordered the second. The third giant, knowing as well as the second that the dwarves could not as yet know who they were, grasped the second's shoulder and winked evilly. If they seen us, it reasoned, we's got no choice but to squish them. The second giant chuckled softly, poised its heavy club on its shoulder, and started for the camp. The dwarves were completely stunned when the verbi came bounding around the boulders just a few yards from their camp and closed in on them. But a cornered dwarf is pound for pound as tough as anything in the world, and these were from the clan of Mithril Hall, who had been waging battles on the merciless tundra for all their lives. This fight would not be as easy as the Verbig had expected. The first dwarf ducked a lumbering swing from the lead Verbig and countered by slamming his hammer onto the monster's toes. The giant instinctively lifted its injured foot and hopped on one leg, and the seasoned dwarf fighter promptly cut it down by bashing him in the knee. The other dwarf had reacted quickly, launching his hammer with pinpoint accuracy. It caught another giant in the eye and spun the creature, crashing into some rocks. But the third verbig, the smartest of the three, had picked up a stone before it had charged and returned the dwarf's throw with a tremendous force. The stone deflected off the unfortunate dwarf's temple, snapping his neck violently to the side. His head lulled about uncontrollably on his shoulders as he fell dead to the ground. The first dwarf would have soon finished off the giant he had felled, but the last of the monsters was upon him at once. The two combatants parried and countered, with the dwarf actually gaining a bit of an advantage. An advantage that lasted only until the giant who had been struck in the eye by the throne hammer recovered enough to jump in. The two verbig rained blow after heavy blow at the dwarf. He managed to dodge and deflect them a short while, but then one landed squarely on his shoulder and dropped him onto his back. He found his breath in a short time, for he was as tough as the stone he landed on, but the heavy boot stomped on him and held him down. Squish him, begged the injured giant the dwarf had cut down. Then we take some to the cook. We does not, growled the giant above the dwarf. It ground its huge boot into the earth, slowly pressing the life from the unfortunate victim. Big Green'll take us to the cook if he finds out. The other two grew genuinely afraid when they were reminded of the wrath of their brutal leader. They looked helplessly to their more cunning companion for a solution. We puts them and their filthy things in a dark hole and says nothing more about this. Many miles to the east, in his solitary tower, Akar Castle waited patiently. 
in the autumn, the last and the largest of the trading caravans would roll back into ten towns from Luskin, laden with riches and supplies for the long winter. His vast armies would be assembled and on the move by then, marching gloriously to destroy the pitiful fishermen. The mere thought of the fruits of his easy victory sent shivers of delight through the wizard. He had no way of knowing that the first blows of the war had already been struck.